while I was on the floor, I saw a man in a flowing white gown, and all he said was, this is it. But when he said that, I felt the presence of God. This is Charisma Connection. I'm Chris Johnson. My guest today is Dr. Derek Greer. He's author of the book, When God Stops, which is coming out August 13th. He's founding pastor of Grace Church near Washington, D.C. in Dumfries, Virginia. He has a broadcast ministry, and he's ordained a bishop in 1978 by Dr. Miles Monroe. Many of our listeners may know Dr. Monroe. And he's also heavily involved in education, training, and outreach. Now, that's just part of his resume, but he has a really interesting personal story, too, and there are so many aspects to it. But there are two things that popped out at me. Today, he has a public ministry, but he normally would shy away from groups of people. And then we'll find out what attracted him to Islam, specifically as an African-American, but how Jesus changed all of that for him. So, Dr. Greer, we welcome you to Charisma Connection. Well, I'm so excited to be with you and a great opportunity to talk with you and those that are listening to this podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me. Well, we're so pleased to have you. And did I get the date of the book right? August 13th, it's released? Yes, August 13th it will be out. I'm super excited. And this is your first book, right? No, I've written several other books, uh, but I think this is the book that I have invested the uh, most uh, time in. Um, You know, I I have a super busy schedule, and basically I worked on this book at night, uh, you know, after I I served my congregation all day long and did all those other things that I'm involved in. Uh, Late into the night, I would write this book, and uh, uh, it was really a labor of love. Mm, I'm sure. Yeah, come to think of it, I did see some other books on your website. But this is called When God Stops, Faith That Gets God's Attention. Love that uh, subtitle and the title, actually. And I see you have a foreword by Dr. Sam Chand. Some of our listeners will know him as well. So, Dr. Greer, you didn't grow up in the church. How How did you perceive God when you were a boy and then growing up into your teen years? Well, when I was a child, my heart was open to God. Uh, you know, my mother would kneel with me by my bed, and we'd pray, now I lay me down to sleep, and if I die before I wake, I pray to the Lord my soul to take, and then I'd pray, and, you know, thank God for my relatives, etc. But um, in elementary school, my mother sent my brother and I uh, to a Christian camp, and uh, now I, I was born Catholic. Um, and uh, I was christened as a child. Uh, we went to church only occasionally, and actually I moved four times as a kid. So um, we, we had a lot going on, but the short of it was my mother sent us to a, a summer camp, and uh, there was only a handful of African-American kids at this particular camp. And, um, you know, I, I'm an introvert, so, you know, being the camp experience was, you know, a little challenging for me, but nonetheless, um, my younger brother when he got back uh, home he said I never want to go back to that that uh, uh, camp and I, and I asked him why well he said well you know uh, as the week went on what happened was my brother's lighter than my I am and as he began to tan uh, the kids would put toothpaste on his face and sometimes they try to force wash him to make him white again if you will mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so you know from early on there was a zillion other incidents like that 
I didn't really see the church as a place of acceptance. I didn't really see it as a, a place where uh, people of color uh, really, really belonged. I, I thought that folks like Dr. King, et cetera, they uh, excelled despite their faith, not because of it. And uh, I saw, you know, Christianity as basically the the, the problem uh, in the African American community. And um, you know, I was from a middle class family, uh, but I lived in a working class neighborhood and in in my neighborhood turning the other cheek didn't work so the the christian concept of uh you know loving your enemy etc didn't make a whole lot of real world sense and i thought in my thinking that again you know that's how african americans remained in slavery uh, because we kept turning the other cheek but if we would have risen up particularly in some of the states where uh you know african americans outnumbered uh, their captors you know, we could have turned this thing around. But that was my thinking, and as I got older, it only got stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. That's interesting about Dr. Martin Luther King. I mean, I don't hear of many African Americans who, you know, don't think that he had it right. Uh, well, yes, there, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a large segment in the African American community, particularly in, in the 70s and certainly in the 60s. Now, I'm a, I'm a child. I was born in 65, but uh, you had the Malcolm X's, you had the Marcus Garvey's, and there was a whole lot of different thinking in the African-American community. In fact, when Martin Luther King died, his approval rating, I believe, was below 30%. So, uh, you know, we look back on Dr. King, and we kind of romanticize, uh, you know, his, his life and his ministry, but the reality was there was a lot of divergent views uh, in, in the African-American community. Yes, as you mentioned some of those names, I can understand that. Sure. So what appeal did Islam really hold for you as an African-American man? Well, um, what really attracted me was the, the self-help, the self-determination, um, and it really wasn't Islam as much as uh, Malcolm X and, um, you know, Elijah Muhammad and those guys, their theology was a little bit suspect, but uh, the way they approached, uh, you know, the challenges in the African community was really, their, their, their uh, philosophy was, hey, we need to help ourselves. And that fit with my personality. Uh, also, you know, when I went to uh, high school, our, uh, as well as middle school, there were riots. Uh, in our schools, there were racial riots. Uh, segregation had just begun, and you know the white kids sat in the front of the book the bus, the black kids sat in the back of the bus, and there was constant conflict. And certain neighborhoods you couldn't go into, and if you went into the, that neighborhood, you know there'd be a fight. So when you grow up with that mentality, and you know there's a differentness between the the races, and the the differences can also uh, create certain edges when you're around certain folks. You know. The, we had we were concerned about white police officers the, the whole deal so this this was my history this is the way i grew up so when i went to college finally i went to howard university in washington dc which is a great school and um uh when I, I i first started attending what was amazing was uh typically on fridays and thursdays but typically on fridays you would see members of the nation of islam preaching in front of the student center and they would call christianity a white man's religion and uh, I couldn't help but agree with it. And all my classes uh, uh, tended to support that view. Louis Farrakhan was a frequent guest of the university. So uh, over time, I found myself um, leaning more and more uh, toward Islam 
versus Christianity. So finally, I read the Quran. I read it from cover to cover. And, um, you know, when I read it, uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't super impressed, but um, based on all my understanding of, of, of uh, again, Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad and all the, the rest of uh, folks like that, um, I... I, I, I was open, let's put it that way, and uh, I was planning to visit a mosque. And um, one day, while I was in one of my courses, this is at Howard University, I'm in the midst of this, um, I've, I've pretty much ruled out Christianity, and uh, I'm searching for God, though, and I think God knew that. I was in class, and I felt something I couldn't quite explain. Um, I felt a sense of, now I understand it was a sense of sin, a sense of lostness. But in my mind, there was no category for what I was feeling. I just felt undone. I, I, I just knew that I was not right, that there, there was something fundamentally wrong with who I was. And that's not easy to describe. You know, life was good. I had a job, you know. I always had money in my pocket. I had girlfriends and friends. I, I, there was no reason for me to have such a feeling. But uh, after class, I sat through the class, and uh, the feeling only intensified as time went on. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to have to get off campus because, you know, if I'm having a meltdown, I don't want anyone to see this. <laughs> so I, yeah, I got on the bus, went back downtown to my dorm, and while I was in the bus, I was afraid that people might see what was going on inside of me that might be showing on my face. I was terrified. I couldn't explain what I felt, but I just knew I was a sinner, that something was wrong. And I, again, did not have mental categories. I wasn't raised in the church for what was happening. I went into my uh, dorm room. Fortunately, my roommates were not there. So I laid in the bed. I said, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll sleep this off, and then I'll get back to my afternoon classes. So I laid in the bed, and it just got worse. And before long, I find myself on the floor because I'm, I'm so uncomfortable and, and I know that I, I, it's really hard to explain what I felt that day. I, I can explain it in hindsight, but when you don't have categories for that type of thing in your mind, you think, is this a mental breakdown? Am I, am I, am I going nuts? What is happening? Hmm. Um, I'm on the, on the floor. I know there's a barrier between me and God. I realize uh, my selfishness, my, 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 my sin. I, I realize I'm, I'm off. I, I, re I just, you just have this awareness that you need to be saved. And I didn't know how to reach out to a savior. And while I was on the floor, I saw a man in a flowing white gown, and all he said was, this is it. But when he said that, I felt the presence of God. Now, what I didn't tell you about that uh, Southern Baptist uh, camp was one year I went alone. This was before my brother came with me. And I really didn't participate in a lot of the singing, but one day I decided to. And they sung this song about the name of Jesus at the uh, tambourine, is what they called it, and um, jamboree, forgive me. And I literally felt the presence of God for just a moment. I couldn't explain it, but I didn't give my life to Christ. I didn't really know how. Um, in this room, I felt that same presence, and instinctively I knew that was Jesus, and I knew that the path I was on was, was, was wrong, and that Jesus uh, is the answer to, to all the questions that I had, and, and he was ultimately what I was seeking. But again, I didn't know 
how to give my life to Christ. And I wasn't a very humble man. Uh, I was angry, uh, aggressive. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I just wasn't the guy to quickly kneel before anybody. So what I did, though, after that moment, is I began to read the Bible for myself and just the Gospels. And, so you had a uh, Bible. I think I found the Bible. Mm, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember how I got the Bible. Uh, it may Not have been right one next of those, to the Quran on your bookshelf. Well, it might have been one of those green Gideon Bibles ah, that uh-huh. the Gideon group handed out at our campus. I okay. think I had a New Testament, yes. And uh, I read the the Gospels, and actually I kept rereading them, and I, I, I met this man. Um, he was the most phenomenal individual that I could ever imagine. Um, he was unlike anyone else. Um, the way he handled situations, his men, the way he handled opposition, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the way that, you know, they call him a devil. And he said, well, I know where I come from, but you, you guys basically come from the devil. The way he did his tremendous confidence, just his, his manhood. I mean, he's in the middle of a storm, and, and he speaks to the storm, and the storm backs up and, 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 and calms down. And he became a hero, and I saw him as a tremendous leader, a tremendous man. He was a man's man to me in every respect of the word. And after a year of studying, before long, the light bulb started going off in my head. This is more than just a guy. This is not just a man. This man is who he said he was. He is, in fact, Lord. And about a year later, uh, I walked down the aisle of a Howard University um, campus ministry. They had chapel at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And actually, to be frank with you, I followed a girl in there, and God knows how to bait us to get us to where we <laughs> need to go. <laughs> and he has a sense of humor. But uh, after following her, I started coming on my own. And um, eventually, I walked down that aisle and gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And my life has never been the same uh, since. And actually, after that time, I eventually became the leader or one of the leaders in that very ministry where I met the Lord. Hmm, but interesting. I fell in love with the person of Christ and um, his character, his integrity. That is what drew me even more than the miracles and, and all the other things. And um, uh, I, I, I think for, for me, um, I, the, the person of Christ is the most phenomenal, the most incredible I mean, of all the things Jesus could be, for him to be who he is, as humble, as gracious, as kind, but as strong as he was at the same time, is, is just, I mean, it, humans could not create an individual like this Jesus Christ. Hmm. Well, one thing I find interesting about your story is how God got a hold of you through your emotions. I mean, you know, you didn't have a context, as you said. Basically, you didn't have categories for all these things. But right. he, he, you know, found you where you were on a college right. campus sitting in the middle of class right. and, uh, and really touched your emotions and helped you move on from there. And then study became important to you as you looked at the Word for like a year before you actually gave your heart to Christ. Absolutely. I think what he did is he turned up the volume on the inside of my heart. You know, I was busy with a whole lot of things to to kind of, you know, um, drown out what I was really feeling on the inside. 
But what he did is, again, he, he just supernaturally turned it up. And the Bible says that, you know, the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin and, and righteousness and, and judgment, etc. But he was real clear, and, and I became real clear about the fact I needed a Savior, that I could never be good enough, I could never be strong enough, I could never be religious enough to merit a relationship with God. And it wasn't a sermon preached as much as an experience, I, I think, with, with God where he kind of amplified his holiness. And if I would have saw too much of how holy and great he was, I probably would have just dropped dead. But um, he, he also amplified those things I was pretending were not so. And, um, uh, and, and when I finally had to face him boldly, um, I, and he pointed me to a Savior, I couldn't but accept now, you met the person of Christ because you got to know him as a person. Um, and that's exactly what you're talking about in your book, When God Stops, because you're talking about how God stopped for you Absolutely. and also how God stopped for all these different figures in the Bible. Would you like to elaborate on a couple of those for us? Sure. You know, theologians use the term immutable to describe God, meaning he can never change. All God has ever been, all he will ever be, he is right now. So when I wrote this book, uh, I was looking at individuals in the Bible that receive results from God. And since God's the same, if we would follow the same principles that these eight characters followed, we can have the same results. And all of us want results with God. And, um, you know, Jesus ministered to, to thousands and thousands of people. But in the Bible, he only stops for a few. And um, I, I highlight those narratives. And uh, actually, those narratives are our, uh, they're, they're our leg legacy, they're our history. Those are uh, important narratives. And I don't even like calling them stories sometimes because people think it's made up. Now, these, these are real encounters that people had with Jesus Christ. And if we can learn from them, uh, we can re receive the same results. But what's amazing is most of these guys were not highly educated, or also women included. Uh, there were a few exceptions. Uh, but, I mean, the, these folks that caused Jesus to stop ran the gamut. So it, it's not anything, it's not uh, about really how much we bring to the table in terms of our accomplishments and achievement, achievements as much as uh, our heart and our hunger and our willingness to really press in to God and these eight characters pressed in, and when they pressed in, they got results. And, and when God stops, it's about getting results with God. It's not about pie in the sky. It's not about profound, deep theology as much as us getting results right now uh, in our, our workaday world, in our, our, our particular context, meeting a God that knows how to speak to us, address us, and deal with our particular situation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was healing, sometimes Absolutely. it was a spiritual need that people came to Jesus with. So Absolutely. you give lots of examples of those um, figures, and as you say, it's not fiction. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, what I've come to over the years, and you know, I'm, I'm a spirit-filled person, you know, speaking tongues, I, I'm probably one of those guys that I speak in tongues more than you all. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really uh, walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but... I don't really believe in healing so much as a doctrine. Healing is a person to me. And uh, a lot of folks, you know, uh, you ought to heal me because my church believes X, Y, and Z. No, Christ is a healer. 
meaning if Jesus just is, is being true to himself uh, in our lives, the result will be healing. And uh, it's just simply what he does. And uh, so I don't try to impose uh, a, a formal cold doctrine, if you will, on God. You must heal me because uh, I, I heard somebody said you're a healer. No, that, that's according to Scripture. That's who you are and what, what you do. And in the Bible, when people allowed Jesus to be himself, the result was their healing. When they embraced Jesus for who he really was, the result was healing. And um, with that, that has helped me in my own life. I, I dealt with sickness for a number of years, and um, God uh, miraculously healed me. Um, but in that situation, it wasn't, hey, I'm, I'm a good Pentecostal, or, or I'm a charismatic, Lord, you, you ought to heal me. My pastor said this healing. No, uh, you're Jehovah Rophe, the Lord God who heals. And if I allow uh, what you did at the cross to, to run its course in my life, I will also receive the healing that you died that I might obtain. Mm-hmm. Well, you've had lots of experiences to share, and I know in each of the chapters at the end is when you tell your story. It's interesting how you tie that in with these different figures from uh, the Bible. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about one of the things that I alluded to at the introduction, that you really struggled with um, shyness as a young person, didn't you? How did that impact you, and how did you overcome it? Well, it was brutal. Um, you know, today I have a congregation of really uh, a little over 6,000 people now, and um, my job is highly public. Um, but here's the deal. Um, some things, you know, God just touches and it goes away. But uh, some things you only come overcome by doing them. And um, I basically had to constantly make the decision over and over again, you know, am I going to love God and others more than my particular fears? And um, the, the, the way that you know, I would say today that I'm probably more of an ambivert. I, I used to be an extreme introvert. I mean, I was, I was weird as a child. I mean, it was, it was borderline. Um, uh, it, it, it was, it, it was, it, I had a real problem. Um, however, I would say today that uh, I'm more of an ambivert. I'm kind of in the middle. But I had to push myself, push myself, push myself. Most pastors are great conversationalists. Uh, they can go anywhere and just start conversations. Uh, I've had to work at that. And uh, But God has, has been faithful, and, and, and he's kept me. And the way that I started coming out of my shell was basically by caring enough for the, uh, about the situation of others uh, to share Christ. Um, and I, I, again, because I wanted them to know my Lord, I'd have to get over me. And um, that has helped me. But I have to say, there were times, man, I felt like I was dying a thousand deaths. Um, there were times I wanted to wet myself, I mean, run to the bathroom. I mean, mm-hmm. my, I'd, I'd stand in public and all my thoughts would just leave. I'm standing for hundreds of people and I'm, I, I, did, I can't even gather a thought uh, because of the panic I felt on the inside. But I and had, you did suffer from panic attacks, did you not? Oh my gosh! Especially <laughs> in the early days at Howard University, you know, it's it's a liberal university, and here I am, uh, this guy that believes the Bible, preaching to students, and we had a revival when when I started that ministry. I started leading in that ministry. We had about thirty participants, but by the end of my two years, we were in the hundreds, and and we mm. knock on doors and lead people to Christ. It was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful uh, season 
uh, in my life. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I it was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> but I had to push through because it wasn't about me. It was about Christ. And not that I shared Christ so perfectly. I'm so glad I don't have copies of those original messages. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad they're lost somewhere. Um, but I, I think folks knew because of my lifestyle before um, that there was a change in my life. And, uh, you know, the buddies I used to hang with, you know, I, I, was, I was a womanizer, I was all those things. And uh, one of the things they said to me, said, hey, man, you know, the reason I know something happened to you is because you are now sleeping alone. Hmm. And um, it was a fundamental change in my life. It wasn't just an idea. I got a new idea or a new theology. It was a real change. And that change in my life is what I think people responded to, and, and that's what I was trying my best to share. I think you got results, too. Yes, I did. I sure did. I sure did. Uh, you know, I'm not perfect, but I've gotten better and better and better and better, stronger and stronger and stronger, had uh, major challenges and setbacks. But Christ is as real to me as he was when I met him 30 years ago. And my passion for him has only grown stronger. And, and that's how I know it's a supernatural thing, because it's a fire that he started and because he started it, he keeps that flame going. Hmm. That's wonderful. Well, you really do have so many different aspects of your life, and I'm sure that people are going to want to pick up this book, When God Stops Faith That Gets God's Attention, by Derek Greer. Dr. Greer, would you mind praying for our listeners as we close? I'd love to do that. Heavenly Father, I pray that everyone that's uh, tuned in today or pull me up on their computer has a God stop moment. You stop for me in my dorm room. But Lord, throughout my life, you stop for me over and over and over and over again, Lord. I pray that they experience you in your power. And just like these eight characters, Lord, they, you know, there were different areas that you stopped for in each of their lives. May you not just stop in one place in our lives, but may they experience God stop moments in each area of their life that's important, where they need healing cleansing, freedom, and deliverance. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love that. A God-stop moment. We could all use some of those. Excellent. So, Dr. Greer, where can people learn more about you and about your book? Well, you can go to whengodstops.com. That's whengodstops.com. And uh, you could... uh, Uh, take a look at some of the uh, endorsements as well as you have access to the various uh, uh, Amazon and ChristianBooks.com and some of the sites that that carry the book. Uh, The bottom line, though, is I want people to have an experience with God when they read uh, this book. And uh, that's exactly what I'm aiming for, what I'm believing for, what I'm praying for. And when you grab hold of this book, I expect there to be some real life change. Excellent. We pray that, too. Thank you so much, Dr. Greer, for being with us here on Charisma Connection. God bless you. I'm Chris Johnson. Thanks for joining us for this chat with Dr. Derek Greer on When God Stops on Charisma Connection. At this year's Live Free Conference, Pastor Ronnie Phillips and Pastor Ron Carpenter Jr. will help you discover and activate the hero within you. Join us September 15th through 17th in Chattanooga. Seating is limited, so register now before it's sold out. Just $40 for the evening sessions. Plus, you'll receive a conference shirt. Don't wait. Register today for Live Free, September 15th through 17th. Sign up at RonniePhillips.org. 
This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.